0: The book of Philippians, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead plead with sentiki, to agree with, with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Thanks be to God.
1: For those of you who don't know me, my name is Guy Axelson. I'm married to MJ and we have two lovely little boys, Charlie and Jago. And Jago was born about three weeks ago. So if I appear to be rather tired, then that's the reason. I've just finished second year of three years at Wycliffe Hall, so I'm going to be booted out in a year's time uh, looking for a curacy, and and, and please pray for me uh, on on that as well. In 2008, shortly after completing a degree in finance and accounting in Cape Town, which is where I grew grew up, I spent five months in Uganda. I was taking part in in a YWAM, a youth with a mission Discipleship Training School. And I've got to tell you, I I love YWAM. I couldn't recommend YWAM highly enough. But to be honest, our our final mission trip ended pretty badly. We were in Kabali in southwest Uganda, just near the border of of Rwanda, living in an orphanage, orphanage, running alpha courses in the university, setting up um, football clubs for for the kids, cleaning hospital wards, preaching in churches, knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus, etc., uh, etc. Et and our mission team of, of a dozen or so people just love Jesus and love sharing Jesus with other people. And our situation there reminded me a little bit of of Paul's commendation in Philippians one twenty seven, where he writes, "As close as he comes." to a summary statement of this letter. This is what he says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to you and see you, only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I just love that. They're called to strive together together, For the faith of the gospel. Now this is impossible if they're divided. For Paul, you see, unity isn't a luxury. It's an identity. It is who we are. It is what the gospel does. Jesus unites us to himself. He unites us together, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Therefore, as believers, we aren't called to create unity, but only to maintain it. And this we do through having the mind of Christ, as Paul's explained in chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, where he writes, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is what we're called to do. But we fail. In the final weeks of our mission trip, it all went sour. One of the men who who was a student leader on the team asked the staff leader whether he could go and visit a friend in a nearby town. The staff leader forbade him from doing it, but Chris went anyway. When Chris came back, this massive argument broke out between him and the staff worker, whose um, authority he had disregarded. It's a young girl on our team who's just out of school from the States, and she waded into the middle of this argument scolding Chris, and Chris went absolutely bananas. He just flipped his lid, and he said to this girl, if you ever disrespect me in this way again, I'm going to slap you. At this stage, everyone fled for their rooms, and I went after Chris. I was furious with Chris for saying what he had said. I went after him to tell him to never, ever speak to a girl like that ever again. Adrenaline pumping through my body and ready to knock his block off if it came to fisty cuffs. What a sad situation we'd got ourselves into. Anger and bitterness erupting, threats being issued, everyone taking sides. Now Chris had been an amazing friend of mine. A couple of months earlier, I'd broken my collarbone while playing touch rugby. And it was Chris who who cared for my needs. It was Chris who washed my clothes by hand because we didn't have washing machines during those, those weeks when I couldn't do it myself. It was Chris who carried my books around. It was Chris who looked after me. He was an incredible friend. But here I was, ready to punch him. As a team, we had spent weeks... Sharing the gospel, sharing the good news about Jesus with dozens of people, seeing many people come to faith in Jesus for the first time. We had been united and we had seen the fruit of the unity, but now we were divided, shouting at each other and stomping off to their rooms, and in my case, even ready to throw punches. How awful is that? It was a very human response, but it wasn't a gospel response. And the cynic in us might say that this situation was bound to happen. Just look at Lord of the Flies. If you send a dozen people off to live and work together in close proximity for a good amount of time, divisions are inevitable. We see this in our workplaces. We see office disputes about who gets the desk closest to the window. We see it in our families. We see unreconciled grievances in siblings when they grow up they don't want to speak to to each other in later life. And we even see it in our churches. We see secondary issues being blown out of proportion. Divisions are so normal that they don't surprise us anymore, let alone grieve us. In churches, believers might not take the approach um, of the Lord of the Flies, where, where Piggy fell victim to the others. However, in a church the size of this one, it's all too easy just to ignore those who we've fallen out with. With a church of a few hundred people, it's pretty easy to ignore and avoid the handful of people who we don't want to talk to. But this isn't a gospel response. Paul tells the Philippians that Christians should not be content with division, and neither should we be. At the end of Paul's letter, he gives us a a worked example in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, which is where we're going to settle today. And this worked example is aimed at benefiting the individuals in question, Euodia and Syntyche, but also the rest of the church. Now, you might think it's unfair of Paul to air a private relationship between these two individuals in this open letter. Surely this disagreement was the business of the individuals alone. So why does Paul bring it up? Well, it's not to slander them. In writings of this time, enemies are left unnamed. No, Paul does this because he loves these women. They are dearly loved by him. And And their fractured relationship is affecting the church and therefore endangering the gospel witness of the church. This is a serious issue and Paul wants them to help resolve it. So let's have a look at verse 2 and meet the characters involved. Who are Euodia and Syntyche? Well, here are a few things that we know about them and their division. The first is that they aren't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place where their names crop up. Secondly, we know that these aren't characters who are known for their bad tempers, but they're rather women who have worked alongside Paul in the gospel, This comes out in verse 3. Then we also know that the nature of their disagreement isn't mentioned. It might have been personal or relational, theological or ethical. We just don't know. What we do know is that it impacted the gospel witness of the church. Also, Paul doesn't tell them that one of them is right and the other is wrong, or that they are both partly right. He doesn't do this because, because it's not their issue that worries Paul. It's their division. It's the fact that they are divided that Paul is concerned with. Now, let's take a few seconds to get personal. Who are your Euodias? Who are your Synteches? Who are you divided with? Who would you like to see fail? At the time I definitely wanted to see Chris getting kicked off the YWM course, I'm afraid to say. Who would you like to get one over on? Or how about this question? Who would you like to apologize to you? Let's sit with these questions as we get back to the letter and have a look at verse 1 and ask, why does the situation of division grieve Paul? Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Christians belong in family unity. My brothers and sisters, brethren, The Philippians were Gentiles who had been brought into unity with their Jewish brothers and sisters under one father. Christians have the same privilege. The gospel unifies. In Christ, we are reconciled with our heavenly father and join in the family of those who are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Christ reconciles, sin divides. Then at the end of this verse, Paul encourages them to stand firm in the Lord. Division is a serious thing because it's contrary to the nature of the church. The church is the body of Christ, and Christ isn't divided. Therefore, neither should the church be. Bringing division where Christ has brought unity is a serious thing and should never be taken lightly. Paul writing in Ephesians two verses fifteen to eighteen about the unity in Christ between the Jew and the Gentile writes this. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. In Christ, we are unified. Disunity amongst those who are in Christ is contrary to the gospel. Now let's look at verse 2 and 3 to look at Paul's solution to this disunity. He writes, I plead with you, Yodia, I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul pleads with Yodia and Syntyche. He is not heavy-handed, but personal. He loves these women, then he asks an unnamed true companion, which is sometimes translated as here, loyal yoke fellow, to intervene. This person is to be proactive, to go to them with a helping hand, to help them with their reconciliation. Yodia and Syntyche aren't to go to him, but he is to go to them. Now, the image of the yoke fellow is a lovely one, and it's exactly what Paul's getting to. It's a reminder of, for the church of the like-mindedness that Paul is calling them to. It's a picture of two oxen that are pulling side by side. And these oxen might not be thinking exactly the same thoughts, but they're pulling in the same direction. If one ox goes off in a different direction, then it needs to be uncoupled. Similarly, Paul asks and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. They don't need to thrash out every difference of opinion that they have to come to perfect agreement. Paul's not looking for that. Rather, he is appealing for the like-mindedness that he's already mentioned in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where he writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Paul desires for them to have the same fundamental aim, orientation, priorities, gospel priorities. These women have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. The single task agreement in the gospel should result in the unity of the workers. The church should be like this, demonstrating a fundamental oneness Since as Paul writes in verse 3, our names are in the book of life. There's a heavenly reality to, to the church, the body of Christ as God sees it. And there are no divisions in heaven. We are going to spend eternity with our Christian brothers and sisters. But in a big church like this, division is easily hidden. We settle for second best. Let's not settle for second best. Let's not be divided. Let's be active in in pursuing reconciliation. The like-mindedness that we are called to concerns being so focused on Christ that we put away our personal preferences for the sake of pulling together the oxen who plough are focused on the furrow. Let's not let anything get in the way that stops us pulling together or stops us pulling at all. A loyal yoke fellow in the church, in an English church like this, needs to to, to avoid sorry, needs to, to get over an English attitude of avoiding getting personal with fellow believers. Paul isn't calling people to nosiness rather to help brothers and sisters who are struggling with division. Coming to church to hear a sermon and then walking out again isn't how Paul imagines the church. His view is much higher. We should be in each other's lives, getting alongside each other, and this extends to helping each other get over our divisions. The trouble with divisions is they, they can start to define us. And if we define ourselves by our divisions, then the gospel is in serious trouble. Since Philippians is an open letter, Paul is also addressing the friends and family of Euodia and Syntyche. Those people who could easily have formed a Euodia party or a Syntyche party. This won't do. We need to be united in the Lord. Remember, we're called to like-mindedness. Now, I want to go out on a limb and, and end this time slightly differently by sharing the peace, all of us together. And, uh, and there may be some of us here who want to use this time to, to make peace with a yoke fellow. I'll use Paul's um, final words in, in verse 9 and the God of peace be with you. And we share the peace together. Peace be with you.